This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. We have been in a long, uh, actually about seven-week sermon series on how to live victoriously in the valley. You know, we're not a church that thinks that in order to be... You know, like, you know, you're only blessed if you only live in uh, a mountaintop experience. Matter of fact, I would say most of my life has not been a mountaintop experience. It's been a place where I've learned to live and be with Jesus in moments of the valley. Uh, And many of you have raised your hands that you've been through uh, an emotional or physical valley, a spiritual valley throughout your lives. Uh, My wife and I have, even in our marriage, we've had uh, mountaintops experiences and uh, in our marriage, uh, and we've had some valley experience in our marriage. There's been times where, you know, we weren't sure uh, if we wanted to continue The Lord helped us, and the principles that we've been sharing the last seven weeks, six weeks, are things that we've implemented in our lives. There are many times where uh, maybe, and I'm being open and vulnerable to you, is that maybe we've, at one time or another, thought maybe we should just throw in the towel, but the Lord has helped us. One of the principles we learned last week is uh, don't linger in the valley longer than you have to. Now, some of these might seem contradictory, like the next one, uh, lesson number 19, is about digging deep. But if you don't have to linger in the valley, don't linger there. And that's one of the things that we learned from reading the scriptures last week, is pass through the valley. And then, of course, the other one I said before we finished last week or the week before, is when you're in the valley, dig deep. And that's the thing, as I share with you, the valley maybe of uh, relational and marriage issues that my wife and I had experienced. The one things that we did was we we didn't just uh, walk away. We dug deep. We dug deep into Jesus. It wasn't like, Lord, help me to love uh, my wife more. It was, Lord, help me to love you more. And as a result of that, you know, the, the, uh, the emotive feeling of love for my wife began to rekindle. And so that's the thing. It's about digging deep. I, I knew and I shared a story. Um, you know, we read out of Psalms 84, they pass through the valley of tears and they make it a wellspring. They, and, they made, uh, and they made a well and they dug deep. So let me encourage you, if you find yourself, and I encourage you for being here, but let me encourage you, if you find yourself in the valley, dig deep. Too many times what I find that people will do is will abandon God, will abandon church, they, won't, they stop coming to fellowship, and all those are signs of not digging deep into the well. So dig deep, find Jesus, be with Jesus, read the scriptures, pray, uh, and don't give up. But don't linger there longer than you have to. So now it brings us to today, which is part seven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. I pray, God, that you would help us this morning. Lord, we want to hear what the Spirit is saying. Lord, we don't want to spend our mind and energy thinking, I wish somebody else would have listened to this sermon. Lord, I believe that you want to speak to us corporately and individually. Lord, help us to hear your word and do them. Help us to be like the wise builder that built his house on the rock the act of obedience, listening and being a doer of your word. And Lord, help us not to be like that foolish man who built his house on the sand, heard the word, but didn't do it. So Lord, I pray, God, that you'd help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So how many of you could uh, recite the Ten Commandments? We've done this in the past, uh, or at least part of the Ten Commandments. Just raise your hand. Part of the Ten Commandments. All right. Almost all of you raised your hands. A long, long time ago, uh, I remember right after my wife and I got married, uh, there was a very influential man, and you guys may know him still today. Uh, he started a news channel called CNN. And then there was another TV channel called the Turner Broadcasting Channel. But what you may not know is right after I got married, I got married in 88, uh, a couple years later, it was in the news that he made a statement that he felt it was high time for a new Ten Commandments. Anybody remember that? You have to be pretty old like me. And can you imagine the audacity to make a claim that the, the old, what he calls the old Ten Commandments has, is now outdated, and he came up, and it was uh, plastered all over media, not social media, didn't exist at the time, all over media, and it was said a high time for replacement. Now, I know that we have a young church, but I'm not sure if all of you, if I say the, the rock band, the Beatles, raise your hand if you know who the Beatles are, because some of you don't. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody doesn't. But uh, right when I was born... Uh, the Beatles came to the United States, and uh, their lead, one of their lead uh, band members, John Lennon, said this, the Beatles are more popular than Jesus. And then reading out of Wikipedia, this remark made John Lennon of the Beatles, uh, this remark was made by John Lennon of the Beatles in March 1966, an interview which he argued that the public was more infatuated with his band, the Beatles, than with Jesus. And then he says this, and that the Christian faith was declining to the extent that it might, their band will might outlast Jesus. Recently, I shared, and Dave, I'm so good, glad to see you here, at um, Luce's memorial service about the doomed Titanic. Those people thought it was unsinkable. Now, of course, many of you probably just watched the movie like me, but there is this quote that somebody believed that the boat was unsinkable, that literally the Titanic could not be sunk. And there's a line that says, not even God can sink the Titanic. Let me get, and these stories are tied in, and I want you to think about how they're tied in. I'd like to get a little bit closer to home. Again, back to when I was young, uh, one of my all-time favorite Christian artists. Can anybody guess who my all-time favorite Christian artist is? Petra, somebody say Petra. Wrong. Keith Green. Keith Green died at age 28, which is a mind-boggling, all that he accomplished prior to his death. I don't know if you know this, but he died in a plane crash. He was in a Cessna. And the sad fact is, do you know why the band crashed? Anybody raise your hand, do you know why the plane crashed? It was too heavy. He had too many people on the plane by 400 pounds, so it's like almost three, you know, two and a half people. And what happens when you get in a Cessna and you're too overweight in the plane is it makes it very difficult to fly. But Keith Green decided himself 
how many people should go in on the plane. The plane had seven seats with seat belts. They had 12 people. Most of them is eight little kids, ages 12 and younger, two of his own kids. So let's get a little bit closer. All these stories are tied in, and I want you to figure out what it is. Rhea is downstairs, but she can confirm this story. I was on campus here at Florida State University, and this year, this particular year, our campus ministry was on the verge to being the largest campus ministry on campus, only to be outdone by the Baptist. Can you believe them doing that to me? Uh, BCM was a little bit larger than us. And uh, I was probably the fourth largest campus group in the country. Well, I was in the union on a Wednesday and then uh, setting up uh, the table. And then Rhea had come up, and most of you know who Rhea is. She's downstairs helping with the kids right now. She came up to me, and she says, uh, she's telling me this news that some of the students that we knew of in our ministry had made a statement that they had left the ministry. And instead of being mournful of their leaving, I literally, and I'm being vulnerable here, I literally said, that's okay. I know how to get more people. And when I immediately said that, it's almost like Peter being reminded that the, he was going to deny Jesus three times before the cock crows. And, and I literally thought immediately once I said that, I shouldn't have said it. And it was brought to my memory, Moses, when God asked him to strike the rock. And what does Moses say to the people who are obstinate people? Shall we bring water from the rock? Like somehow Moses was going to bring water out of the rock. And he, and he took uh, glory from the Lord and um, bestowed it upon himself. And as soon as I said, that's fine, I know how to get more people, I immediately felt I grieved the Holy Spirit. So all these stories have something in common. What do they have in common? And if you can't figure it out, I'll tell you at the end. But I'm going to ask you to try to figure it out. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 8. 2 Samuel chapter 8. Just peruse down to verse 13. And it said in verse 13 of chapter 8, Now David, and David became famous. I'm reading out of the NIV. After he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to David the Lord. Uh, to David. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David is in on the mountaintop. He just conquered the fiercest enemy, and now King David is becoming. Uh, the most powerful king, warrior king in the Middle East. Now turn with me to Psalms chapter 60. It's a beautiful psalm, and it's, uh, it's just powerful. And if you read it completely and slowly, maybe at home, you'll be able to really just see how it flows together. In verse 1, it says, You have rejected us, God, and burst upon us. And this psalm is really in three parts. So this is part one. You have rejected us, God, and burst upon us. You have been angry. Now restore us. 
You have shaken the land and torn it open, mend its fractures for it is quaking. You have shown your people desperate times. You have given us wine that makes us stagger. But, but for those who fear you and have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow, save us, help us with your right hand that those you love may be delivered. Verse 6, God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph, I will parcel out, parcel out Shechem and measure off the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. In Edom, I toss my sandal. And over Felicia, I shout out triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God, you who have now rejected us and now longer go out no longer go out with our uh, out against our enemies give us aid against the enemy for human help is worthless with god we will gain the victory and he will trample down the enemies it's an awesome psalm you have to read it again maybe the first time reading it you don't really get all the points but king david knew uh war even as a young boy and this portion of scripture, David is the man. He's arrived. He's on the mountaintop. He's definitely not in the valley. So you're saying, Pastor Mario, what's this got to do with living in the valley? There is a valley when you live in the mountaintop that we need to be all aware of and concerned of. His last opposition came from the powerful Edomites. And he has to fight them inside the mountains, which makes it difficult. But he wins. He wins the battle and becomes the most powerful warrior king in the Middle East. Now, King David comes home, and he's the most powerful warrior king. And then he pens this beautiful psalm that we just read. And I believe he, he does it, and he wants his nation to hear it, because he did not want to fall into the arrogance and the insanity that he had seen his predecessor before him. If you remember Psalms 50, when uh, the psalmist says, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, it wasn't some, you know, some thought that he had, but he actually could see it in, with King Saul. He could see what happens when the anointing had departed Saul. And King David is trying to remind himself and remind his nation not to fall uh, into arrogance and insanity like his predecessor did before him. The three parts of the rugged past of suffering. And then in the second part of this Psalm 60, God speaks and claiming all victory is his own. And then the last part is future goals that are not met. And the people of Israel heard this psalm. And King David was determined not to end up like Saul. Similar to many of us who think, I will not become my parents. Now raise your hand, kind of. Not my kids, all right. My kids cannot raise their hand. <laughs> How many thought, man, I am not going to be like my parent? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, not funny. Uh, we all have done that, right? We've all done that. I love my dad, but part of me growing up is I don't want to be him. You guys with me a little bit? You know what it's like? Maybe, maybe you thought, I don't want to be like my mom. I've been there. My mom is 88 years old and probably watching. Love you, mom. 
I will not be like my parents. I think all of us have probably said that because we're focusing on those things that maybe our parents didn't do well. What's going to happen to King David a few weeks, a few months later is that springtime is coming. So David pens this. He's on the mountaintop. He is the king. He's the warrior. He is it. He's, uh, he's the pinnacle. And then a few months, it's going to be springtime. And now David has to make a choice. Look what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem. In other words, David was not supposed to be in Jerusalem. He was supposed to be out with his men. How do these stories connect? How does, and we're going to just play along with me. How does a humble Mario become so confident, and I would say arrogant, and I really want to cry, how does Mario become so confident and so arrogant to think that somehow he can just go find people in his own time and his own will to grow his group? How did such a phenomenal man of God, a singer, who still his work still has effect today, Keith Green, how does he think he became so confident and arrogant that he knew better than how that plane was engineered. How does some finite musician who knows how to write Yellow Submarine and somehow, because he writes Yellow Submarine, he thinks that he is going to be more famous than Jesus. How does a person get so arrogant and filled with themselves that he thinks that his Ten Commandments would be more impactful and better for the world than God's Ten Commandments? So what I'm challenging us this morning and reminding myself is that when you're on the mountaintop, there is some challenges, some valley challenges. All of us are products of the past to some extent or another. We can either be trapped by it or we can embrace the past and learn from it and give thanks to the Lord the things he has taught us. I have... I had a pastor friend of mine, my, my pastor I, I was raised under. And one of my goals in life was to not be like him. And sadly, that turned into, I want to prove my ministry to him. To prove to him that I didn't turn out like him. It's quite, quite comical how I was thinking back in the day. I wanted to impress him. I invited him up to come to Florida State Chi Alpha. At that time, our group was already large. And I wanted to bless him with, uh, he loved hymns. And I asked our band to sing 
a hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. And I wanted to surprise my pastor. We're sitting in the back of more auditorium. And at, right before our band had to sing, he says, I have to go to the bathroom. So he goes to the bathroom and misses the whole thing. And uh, here I was trying to impress him. And I missed the opportunity. And God began to speak to me. This is something I constantly was learning in those days. So being on top has its own challenges. All of us have been affected from the past, and we can either be trapped by it or embrace it. And one of the ways we're trapped is to think that we're not like those people, whether it be our parents or somebody else. To think you're not like that versus, Lord, expose and use people to reveal to me if I'm becoming like that. The past is a good teacher if you allow it. In the Psalms, we read earlier in Psalm 60, David remembered. He remembered, and that's what our number 20th rule to remember in the valley is when you're in the valley, remember. In the valley of success, it's always good discipline to remember where we came from because it will keep us humble and grateful. That's why you might hear from me on a regular basis, and hopefully I don't annoy you with it, but I'm constantly, it's not that the Lord is like trying to rub it in, but I'm trying to remember, remember where I came from. This morning we had pre-service prayer, and I just was, was taken back because I can only imagine where I would be in my life if it were not for Jesus. But I also realized what I was imagining was probably better than the reality of where I would be without Jesus. So it's always good to remember. We do that during our communion time. We ask people to recall and look back. When we're humble, humility becomes more important the more important you become. Humility becomes more important the more important you become. We cannot get to the point where we are not listening to anyone. In America, we don't really listen to people. I think of so many times as when Robin and I were young parents. I remember getting incredibly defensive with my sister because at the time Mason was just a little toddler and he was misbehaving. And my sister said to me, I know it's shocking. (laughs) My sister said to me, have you thought about raising kids God's way? And I'm like, well, what are we doing in the devil's way? And I got really defensive. And what she was meaning to say, there's a program, kids program called Raising Kids God's Way. And I remember thinking at that moment as I look back, it's so, it's so American of us. How dare you tell me how to raise my kids? That's why we need parents and grandparents because they're not usually afraid of you to tell you, hey, it, you know, maybe you may need to make an adjustment. But be careful. Don't be so arrogant to think that you know exactly how to do this by yourself. Nobody knows how to do that by themselves. No one is an expert parent. 
Ask for help. Don't let arrogance, pride keep you from asking for help to be helped from the past. Maybe people that live longer than you, their past could help you as well. So the more, I would say humility becomes more important, the more important you become. You can't get to the point of humility if you're not willing to listen to anyone. Someone that you can learn from. I can't verify this story, but I've heard it a few times, so it must be true. There was a famous country singer who owned a mansion up in Franklin, Tennessee. And he lived in a luxurious home, but he had a small shack home in the backyard. And someone asked him why he had one of those in the backyard. And he says, I sleep there once in a while to remind myself that I could live there again if I had to. And I could learn to be content if that happened again. So the 21st uh, rule to remember to live in the valley when in the valley how to live victoriously is what I would say set aside new goals. At the end of Psalms chapter 60 says, with God we will gain the victory and he will trample down our enemies. When we set aside goals that God is in the center of the plan, I believe that God will help us to trample down our enemies. So Lord, help me to uh, be connected with you more through prayer or reading the scripture. Those are the kind of goals that help me to, uh, Lord, help me to talk to three people that can speak into my life because I want to stay humble. I don't want to get to the point where no one is able to speak into my life. The sad thing is that King David had some really good advice that he forgot to follow. Many of you guys know exactly what happened. So King David soon forgot and stood on some terrace palace and bowed down to the idol of lust. He didn't have a plan. If he did, he knew that he should have had a plan, but he didn't follow through. And the last uh, point to make... When living in the valley, give God the glory. Remember to give God the glory. Instead of me giving God the glory when our group was so large, I literally thought for a brief moment that it, it was because of me. And I stole glory from the Lord that he deserved. And verse 12 says, with God we will gain the victory and he will trample down the enemies. I would say celebrate the past. Set new goals. But the last thing I want to say, but not the least thing I want to say, is give God the glory because it's called gratitude. The humble need help, and when they get help, one of the things that we need help is, is to stay humble and to say thank you. I would hope that it hasn't been too long for any of you the last time we said, thank you, God, for bringing me this far. When was the last time you said thank you to your parents or to a Sunday school teacher that invested in you when you were 
a little cherub. Now, it just so happened we have the mom of a very famous son in Chi Alpha. She's here in the room. She's visiting. And his name is Josh. He's a, I, I couldn't say he's a good friend because he lives up in Virginia, but we have uh, a lot of uh, times we've met and we have good acquaintances. But I've watched him from afar, and he's just doing a phenomenal job. And um, he is the future of our Chi Alpha ministry. He's up at JMU. And I'm sure he does this, but I want to make sure that I say it. I want to say thank you. And I don't mean to get emotional. I want to say thank you because I know Josh enough that I think he's a phenomenal person. But I also, I'm old enough to realize he didn't raise himself. He wasn't raised, and I've said this many times, he didn't, wasn't raised by wolves. He was raised by parents that had to say no to him a hundred times, I'm sure, when he was in middle school, had to tell him to take a shower, all those things that the tough work of being a parent. And so when I see Josh and I see him up on, on the stage at our training events and I see him in our Zoom meetings, I know that the Lord worked in his life, but God used his parents uh, to help him become the man he is today. So thank you. So start of a, a great way of being thank, saying thank you is staying humble is saying thank you. So what did our four stories have in common? Arrogance. Can you imagine trying to change the Ten Commandments? I don't know if you know this, but back in, this, back in the day, the Soviet Union got rid of the seven-day work week, the seven-day calendar. They got rid of it and made a 10-day calendar, 10-day week. It, it just was a total disaster. But they wanted to get out of the rhythm of what God had done in, in creation. They came up with their own rhythm, and it was a total disaster. You could look it up. Um, I believe it was in the 40s. They tried to change the calendar into a 10-day work week. So what are the four stories Start with arrogance, to think that somehow some rock band is going to become more famous than Jesus. I'm reminded of a Lee Strobel book that talked about who in the world would have thought 2,000 years ago that today, 2,000 years later, we would name our kids Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul, and we name our dogs Nero and Caesar. You would never think that. But the arrogance of humans thinking that somehow they know better than God, let me challenge us as a church not to fall prey to that. And as the scripture says, let us trample down the enemy, that the, spirit, uh, the enemy of the spirit of pride in the name of Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus gave us the perfect remedy for pride. And you know what the answer is? It's Jesus to become more like him, to really let Jesus live in our lives. Every aspect of your life, your finances, your time, your social media, your uh, home, your money, because Jesus and pride cannot reside together. So let me challenge you this morning is, 
as Micah is going to text Joanne right now and let her know it's time for her to come upstairs. Can you do that, son? Aren't you glad that Jesus gave us himself to help us with pride? Don't be foolish like me, knowing that to be the truth, but not remembering to live out that truth. The moment I said, I know how to get more people. We have to let Jesus live in every part of our life, every aspect of our life. Let Jesus reside in your life so much so that pride has no room to come into your life. That Jesus, we're so filled with Jesus that arrogance and pride has no place. So the fork in the road for us is do we choose Jesus or do we choose arrogance? I'd like for everybody to close their eyes and, and bow their heads. And I just want you to be uh, open with me. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for a moment. And um, I'm already raising my hand, so you won't be alone. But you say, Pastor Mario, I, I need some help in the area of pride. Sometimes I forget about Jesus and amen. Yes, hands all over the place. Yes, me too, so you're not alone. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray, God, right now for those of us who raised our hands, Lord, that you would fill us through your Holy Spirit to the point where pride has to, to flee. Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to have a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness. Lord, I pray, God, that when we leave this place, the first thing we want to do is say thank you to you first but to those who have poured into our lives. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would remind us when we go home, Lord, that we need people in our lives that can speak truth in a way that brings you greater glory. Lord, help us to not fall prey to think that we can change your word and that we'll become more powerful than you and, and somehow we know better than the, you know, how aerodynamics work and gravity and all those things. Like my dear uh, brother that I, I so adore so much. And Lord, help me. I pray that I never, ever allow that spirit of somehow I can do things without the Holy Spirit's direction. I can't have a good marriage without you, Jesus. I can't be a good dad. I can't be a good pastor. It's not my personality that makes me a good pastor. It's you, Jesus. It's you. You are that person in my life that makes me who I am today. So Lord, I pray God that you would help us all to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to filled with Jesus. So thank you, Father. We love you. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to finish our time with singing this song. We want to thank you for listening. 
We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.